Support for IPR comes from Orchestra Iowa, presenting Pops on the River, an outdoor concert experience with songs from the Eagles featuring the Seven Bridges Band and the entire symphony. June 1st at McGrath Amphitheater. Tickets at orchestraiowa.com. Today is Friday. It is the 8th of September. This is Here First from IPR News. I'm Clay Masters. A report finds that a partial building collapse in Davenport that killed three people was caused by the removal of brick and inadequate shoring of the 116-year-old structure. The two engineering companies also blamed an improper understanding of a structural bearing wall, inadequate oversight of repairs, and a history of poor maintenance. The city hired the engineering companies within days of the collapse in May, which killed three residents and forced crews to amputate the leg of another resident to free her from rubble. The report was dated August 15th, and it was posted on the city's website yesterday. Governor Kim Reynolds was on hand for the ribbon-cutting at a new charter school in Des Moines yesterday. IPR's Grant Gerlock tells us it's the first independent and state-funded charter in the capital city. Students took a break from class at Horizon Science Academy and gathered on the lawn outside the former junior high building where the school has taken over the second floor. Reynolds says the STEM-focused school is what she had in mind when she signed a law in 2021 aimed at expanding the charter system. Two years later, it's exciting to see the range of schooling options begin to expand here in Des Moines and truly across the great state of Iowa. Even better, that growth will only accelerate in the years to come. There are around 100 students at Horizon in kindergarten through third grade. The school plans to add grades each year going forward. Unlike private schools, charters cannot be religious and cannot charge tuition beyond state funding. With a new school year only a few weeks old, many districts in Iowa are struggling with how to interpret the state's new and wide-ranging education law. IPR's Grant Leo Winterer has more from Waterloo. File 496, which looks to regulate public schools' curriculum, libraries, and other parts of the student experience, has received sharp criticism for its perceived targeting of LGBTQ and at-risk youth and the vagueness of its language. Waterloo Community Schools Director of Equity, Inclusion, and Belonging, Gina Weekly, says that after multiple conversations with staff, at-risk students, and the district's legal team, gray areas mean solutions are infinite and non-existent. It leaves them to seek out and create stories and create information on their own. And right now, without solidified answers from the state level, that's what people will do. The Waterloo Community Schools are currently consulting with Iowa's Urban Education Network and other area districts to plot a safe path forward. Last night, the Davenport City Council removed an elected alderman from the council. Over the course of a two-hour special meeting, the city attorney's office argued that 7th Ward Alderman Derek Cornett showed an unacceptable trend of behavior. This ranged from harassing female staff members, showing up to council meetings intoxicated, and making offensive voicemails. Here's an excerpt of a voicemail Cornett left for a colleague on the city's official phone line at the end of August. If you're going to stop being a uh, you know, thank And if you think that this is going to be something that you can put out in the public, please put it out in the public because I'll back up everything that I just said. Cornette said after the meeting he's planning to run for re-election. His attorney told IPR News they plan to challenge his removal in district court. 
And all three of Iowa's public universities have larger student bodies this fall than last. That includes a small bump for the University of Northern Iowa in Cedar Falls, which has seen its enrollment trend down for more than a decade. Iowa State University gained 208 students, the University of Northern Iowa, 72, and the University of Iowa, 27. This is your first from IPR News. I'm Clay Masters. This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer. Last year, the U.S. exported $18.5 billion worth of corn. More than a quarter of it went to Mexico. But that trade relationship has been strained in recent years, with Mexico's president trying to ban the import of genetically modified corn. As Harvest Public Media's Dana Cronin explains, the president's decree pits cultural conviction against a major trade agreement. There's a saying in Mexico. Sin maíz no hay país. There's no country without corn. Without corn, there is no country, Diego Marroquín Vitar says. He grew up in Mexico and is now a fellow for the U.S.-Mexico Foundation, a nonprofit that supports trade between the two countries. He says corn, or maíz, is a linchpin in Mexico, going back millennia when it was cultivated by ancient indigenous tribes in the country's highlands. Corn is quintessentially Mexican. It, it plays a, a really important role in the the construction of the Mexican identity, and I think that's where the president comes from. Back in 2020, Mexico's president, Andres Manuel López Obrador, issued a decree to prohibit genetically modified corn in Mexico by 2024, citing health concerns. Here he is talking about it in a speech earlier this year. Tenemos primero que cuidar la salud y eh, también proteger las variedades nativas de maíz. He says we have to take care of our health and protect our native corn varieties. And many Mexicans and Mexican-Americans agree. Heirloom corn is so special. It is over millennia and through generations of families has been bred to grow in specific regions and is pest resistant, drought resistant. Emmanuel Galvin owns Bolita Masa, a micro-molino and tortilleria in Berkeley, California. He buys high-quality heirloom corn varieties from different regions in Mexico and hand-presses them into tortillas and other masa-based foods. He says the inspiration for Bolita Masa came from his Mexican heritage. Galvin grew up here in the U.S. after his parents emigrated from Jalisco, Mexico. He says working with Mexican maíz has helped him celebrate that part of his identity. He gets emotional, recalling the shame he felt growing up. I think part of uh, part of why I work with maíz is to kind of reclaim this like thing that I shunned for so long and was like really looking down on because I was trained by society to kind of look down on this food that wasn't like, it was an other, right? It was this other thing that was foreign and kind of gross. Galvin agrees with Mexican President Lopez Obrador's logic in banning GMO corn. For cultural reasons, but also for the country's health. He says in Mexico, maíz is a staple of the everyday diet. It is most people's main source of protein and fiber. It's most people's main form of B vitamins and amino acids. Over 90% of corn grown in the U.S. is genetically modified. It's been engineered to resist things like pests and drought and to tolerate herbicides. 
Mexico is the second highest importer of that corn behind China. Nancy Martinez is with the National Corn Growers Association and says a ban could really hurt U.S. farmers. You know, if we can't export the majority of our GM corn, we'd have to find other available markets to put it. Um, And that's not something that you can stand up overnight. But the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement stipulates that Mexico needs to give scientific evidence in order to ban GMO corn. In essence, they have to prove it's bad for people's health. And Martinez says it's been proven to be safe. So to kind of halt that scientific innovation um, because of this non-science-based you know, opinion, that's really going to, to put us back. And U.S.-Mexico Foundation's Diego Marroquín Vitar, who acknowledges the cultural reasons behind the ban, says it looks unlikely that scientific evidence exists. There's actually studies that have looked into this and have have found basically nothing. Earlier this year, the U.S. requested formal trade consultations with Mexico, but ultimately failed to resolve the dispute. Last month, the U.S. established a third-party dispute panel, which will make a final decision on whether Mexico's ban violates the country's trade agreement. For Harvest Public Media, I'm Dana Cronin. Harvest Public Media is a collaboration of public media newsrooms in the Midwest and Great Plains, including IPR News, covering agriculture, food systems, and rural issues. This is Here First from IPR News. You can find this podcast wherever you subscribe to them. I'm Clay Masters. Thanks for listening.